come on a journey with a cinephile. Listeners, this is your tour guide of David Garrett Jr. wanting to invite you to come on a different little journey with me here for this bonus episode, which I'm going to end up making number one since my other bonus episodes have kind of come off to be its own spinoff show. For here, my girlfriend of Jamie's brother-in-law of Pete is a cinephile in his own different type of way here now he doesn't necessarily like horror movies but i do know he does like sci-fi and he had really wanted to be on the podcast so what him and i did is that we had been talking about it for quite a long time and trying to figure out something for him to be on the show with and i ended up going to see this movie at the gateway film center of akira and he had never heard of it, but this is one that pops up on a lot of, you know, best of lists. So I had reached out to him. He agreed that he would check it out. And we decided to do this little episode here. And I just want to do a little bit of brief intro before I kick this over to the audio with him and I. So this is Akira from 1988. This is directed by Katsuhiro Otomi. He also helped co-write the screenplay with Itzo Hashimoto. And it comes from the manga that the director and writer also did of Kitsuhiro Otomo. Now this has the voices of Mitsuo Amwada, Nozomo Ozaki, and Bami Koyama. Now this is a animation action sci-fi thriller that is from Japan with its synopsis being a secret military project endangers Neo-Tokyo when it turns a biker gang member into a rampaging psychic psychopath who can only be stopped by two teenagers and a group of psychics. So that's all I really kind of wanted to do here to kind of set the stage a little bit. I'm going to get you over to the trailer and then you will hear our thoughts on the movie. Now I'm going to warn you, there might be some spoilers, but this is not going to be like a scene-by-scene breakdown. It's going to be more of us kind of just chatting about the things that we liked and didn't like about the movie. But I hope you enjoy coming on this, you know, different journey with me as this is Journey with a Cinephile presents bonus episode number one.
to be able to... Because it has already begun. Welcome, everybody, to a kind of special bonus episode that I wanted to do here is I've been, you know, talking to Jamie's brother-in-law about kind of recording something together, and since he is a sci-fi fan, I decided that we would end up watching and doing an episode here on 1988's uh, Kira, as this is both a first-time watch for us, I believe. Is that uh, correct? That is correct. So what we end up deciding to do here is I mean, we kind of jot our own notes down, and I believe we also kind of watched some different versions, where I know I had watched at the Gateway Film Center in their theater the actual Japanese language one with the you know subtitles on. Uh, which version did you end up watching? I watched the English dubbed version. Okay. So we might end up seeing if there's some similarities or any sort of differences to kind of any of the narrative there. I don't really think we're going to do kind of a walkthrough step-by-step type of thing as I think this is more going to be kind of given our thoughts on different things that we kind of picked up or anything that we've noticed. And I know for we were kind of talking a little bit before we started recording here about how there's kind of some weird similarities to some things that we're seeing even today, even though this film was made, like I said, back in 88 and a kind of dystopian type future. So what I kind of want to start doing here would be to kind of get any sort of your initial thoughts coming into this movie or anything you kind of had right after you had watched this. Yeah, thank you, David. I had never heard of this movie before you brought it up, <laughs> and I was interested as to your selection. So I did look up the movie and find out a little bit about it before I watched it. And the first thing I noticed was it, it was a Funimation. It was a Japanese animated movie, and I know that Funimation did Dragon Ball, which is yep. a series that I've watched a lot of. It's been a long time. <laughs> but that was the first thing that crossed my mind. Mm -hmm. And then the synopsis, just about the atomic bomb that's dropped in Tokyo. And when we picked up on New Tokyo, they're preparing for the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, <laughs> which I thought was incredibly um, amazing that, that that was a coincidence. I mean, this was made in 1988, so yep. the odds of them being able to, to pick that would be extremely low. What's also kind of funny is that kind of reminds me a little bit of like The Simpsons, how they seem to be dead on a lot of times with some of their weird predictions. But I know when I first started watching it as well, like I knew that some people in the horror community have talked about this. They never said it was a horror movie. They said that there obviously was the end sequence that kind of goes that way. But they always just talked about like how good of like an animated thing this was. And my jaw kind of dropped when, like you were saying, the atomic bomb falls on them, and then the next thing you know, they're in 2019, I'm like, wow, that's kind of a weird duality. And that's actually something else I put down, is that the Tokyo Olympics, part of this movie ends up going to where they're supposed to be holding it, and how they're talking about the cancellation with everything going on there, and it's just crazy how, I mean, I guess in this case, life reflecting art here, where that Olympics is, I mean, I know po postponed, I think, right now until 2021, but I mean much like everything right now we're going through, is that still kind of up in the air for that as well? I haven't thought, David. Is there any chance at all that Japan tried to get the 2020 <laughs> just because of this movie? I mean, it kind of works out that way, it seems like. And I mean, I hope they weren't planning on everything being canceled yeah. because just to make sure that this movie kind of came true in their own type of light as well, though. So I don't know. It's kind of weird how that all kind of lined up and worked out that way. Um, was there anything else that you kind of noticed after your initial viewing of this? 
Well, the first thing that I, I thought is, I know that the podcast that you do is a horror podcast. Yep. And I thought, is this a horror movie? Would I consider this a horror movie? And in perspective, I have a two and a four-year-old, and I know mm -hmm. if they watched a majority of this movie, yeah. it would give them nightmares. There's a lot of nightmarish imagery mm -hmm. throughout the movie that is scary, yeah. certainly. And I don't know if I'd consider it exactly like a horror film, but there are parts of it, obviously. There's a lot of violence. Yeah. But the imagery, especially towards the end, I, I would say is horrific. Right. And that's one of the things, too, is that if anybody was going to kind of loosely put this into like kind of like a horror adjacent, I think a lot of it would be more of kind of the fear of the society that they're living in. Because, I mean, we have these this biker gang that we're following mostly in it where... I mean, they really have no aspirations in their life. I mean, the greatest thing that they do is the one main character, I believe, is the one who stole his motorcycle and then souped it up where he's really the only one that knows how to, like, ride it and everything. But, like, outside of that, I mean, they go to this trade school, but they really don't care if they kind of do anything from that. They're living in a government that, which is kind of one of the funny things that I kind of see correlated in our own country at times is how ineffectual their form of government currently is with this inner circle that is deciding to do everything but the person who seems to have the real power is the head of the self-defense kind of military unit in japan where he's able to control everybody with some of the things that he's saying and i know a lot of big things that they're trying to do here is with the change of their power infrastructure with how they're going to power everything and i know that's kind of where the whole akira thing pops up as they believe some of the abilities that he has there or that he had before he kind of disappeared for everything is that they could use that as a new form of kind of electricity that they could use but it's always been kind of involatile where they can't necessarily kind of harness it so i don't know if that's anything that you kind of kind of picked up on with what they were doing there yeah and that theme with the science is interesting because it, they discuss it in the movie where you're trying to play God and being able to harness in the consequences of that certainly are impossible. You can't predict when you play with something that powerful what, mm -hmm. what the end result's going to be, which is probably foreshadowing on the nuclear bomb. Right. You, know, you, you create something so strong and so powerful, but you don't know what the after effects are gonna be or how you can control it ultimately. And they even discuss that in this movie. But the layers, I mean, if there's the one thing that I can say that I liked about this movie, mm -hmm. e even from the attitude of watching it for the first time, knowing nothing about it, is how many different layers of things they've added into the, the writing. And I mean, you could look at it from 10 different ways. Yeah. And I wouldn't say it's completely seamless the way it comes and goes, mm -hmm. but I mean, it, it, you're able to follow all the different things that they're trying to do. Right. Yeah, no, I, I can definitely, you know, see where you're coming from with that whole angle and everything. I mean, it's also kind of an interesting where they jump into the movie at is that you have this biker gang messing with this other gang of, I think they call themselves the clowns, and how we kind of get a taste of them, which, having watched that scene, I thought that was very clockwork orange with what happens when uh, the girl that is in love with Shimo, when she ends up getting kidnapped by them and what they end up doing to her, which is another thing that can definitely fall into kind of a more horrific type category is that I mean they're trying to brutally assault her and when Shima shows up this is kind of where he starts to realize that he does have some abilities that are a little bit different is that but he ends up getting beat up and that's what kind of sparks to 
see his sort of change on that. But even before that is when they have the run-in with that gang on the highway where they end up running into this person that's being chased by the government where he is a person who also has this sort of telekinetic power where I thought it was kind of interesting they show there is those like three I don't know if they're supposed to be children or if they're just somebody that using their power has kind of aged them horribly where they all look disfigured old people but they're also very small and I don't know if it's sort of their power stunts their growth or what I mean that's never necessarily fully fleshed out but I do think there's some sort of correlation there that their power does age them faster than what it should yeah and that's the part that I took the most from this movie was I kept thinking looking back after watching the whole movie that man this really felt like Stranger Things to me and there's no way I could believe that somebody that wrote Stranger Things hasn't watched this and I do think that in the beginning or beginning of the story they do take these three children I guess it would be ultimately four children Mm -hmm. And try to give them these powers and work with them. Probably give them some drugs. And yes, they do. They, they look like Benjamin Button in the, <laughs> yeah, the movie. But yeah, I think they're they're supposed to be children who are just frozen in time, even though they age facially um, by the powers that, that they've taken over. Now the main character that you just described, you called him a different name in the movie I watched. I think his name is Tetsu. Okay. T e t s u o. Yep. Um, and the one thing that really got me when I watched this the first time too about him was that these are supposed to be young children. I, they would say somewhere between the ages of 14, 15. Obviously they're in vocational school and high school, but to watch it from the very beginning, they could have been 25. It was hard for me to tell yeah. just from the image of these individuals how old they actually were. Could have been a pretty large gap, but the idea that they were so young made it more interesting. Also in the version that I watched, I know that reading a review, the other character who is the head of the capsules, they call him Canada <laughs> in the dub version that I watched, which I, I suppose wasn't supposed to be his name in the, in the original version. But yeah, the, the gang wars, it, the movie Warriors came to mind yep. when, when I was watching that, the idea that the capsules and the clowns were these rival motorcycle gangs, the capsules, like you said, just this dystopian world they didn't have a lot of goals they didn't really look too far in front of them as to what they were going to do and that's definitely one of the layers of the movie and then the the topless scene with the young girl which is as far as i can remember the only time that they did that through the movie i believe so yeah i wasn't exactly sure why they did that um especially given her age but it does add an element of um making you uncomfortable and Mm -hmm. adding to some of the layers that they were just trying to do in the movie. Yeah, I do believe in the version I watch, his name is Canada as well. I don't know if they spelled it with a K or not in yours. Um, I did think that was kind of interesting when I kept hearing them say their name because I was like, wait, is he like named after the country or like what's going on here? So I do believe that is very similar. It's kind of interesting that in the dubbed version, it's Tetsuo because this movie actually inspired a horror movie called Tetsuo the Iron Man, which is supposed to, like, I've never actually watched it, but I've heard a lot of kind of podcasters that I've listened to quite a bit have talked about it, where that's kind of a body modification type movie where they are grafting, like, actual metal onto this guy as sort of a form of, like, 
from what I've gathered, kind of a pleasure thing. So I do wonder if that movie had already come out by the time that dub did, and that's kind of what they're kind of correlating there with how the change comes over that character. And it's also kind of interesting is that another thing I kind of found when I was looking at some stuff is that this came from a manga that came out in 1982, but this movie actually I think only covers more of like the first half of that, where they don't actually necessarily go into the final part of that story for that. And it's also kind of interesting is this movie kind of has borrowed as well as helped kind of the Godzilla movies that have come out after the fact of this, and it might have drawn some inspiration there. And it's interesting is that Toho, who is the company that started Godzilla, is also the ones that did the distribution for this movie. So I thought that was kind of an interesting thing that, I mean, that movie obviously has a lot of basis in the nuclear testing and nuclear bombs and how Japan was very upset with the United States for everything. And there's a big correlation with everything that we get in this movie as well. So something I kind of wanted to kind of move over to is that there's rebellions and kind of rioting that's going on, which when I'm watching this, it's kind of crazy, you know, living in a pandemic where we had a lot of that in like Portland and some of the other major cities and everything like that, to see that that's something that was happening in this movie as well. Now, obviously, they're not dealing with a virus, but they are very, it seemed like there was something, I don't remember necessarily what it was, but there was a former prime minister that had put something through that kind of crashed their economy, which that also kind of draws parallels to what we're dealing with here is that the pandemic, obviously, you know, definitely had negative effects on the United States economy. So I do kind of find it interesting that some of the riots and everything that started in our country early on for that were, you know, people upset that everything was closed due to that. And then obviously things shifted to more kind of social issues in the country, which both of them though do definitely draw parallels to the movie. I don't know if you saw kind of any sort of that type of idea going on there. And I did, and certainly there's a large part of this movie that talks about corruption, talks about abuse of power with its city council, its political leaders, mm -hmm. and you see at the end that they break into the safe to take all of the money and paperwork, which is probably some property ownership, yeah. and try to take off. They don't get very far, and <laughs> that's, I'm sure, part of what the movie is trying to say, too. No, these people who are bad people and taking advantage of society aren't going to win in the end, and they're not going to feel good about what they've done but it does you know whatever is mixing together in new tokyo is creating a lot of issues and they're looking towards the young children to get them out of this they're looking towards the relig religious fanaticism attached to akira to hopefully pull them out of this but there's a lot going against them these, the corruption that's in, playing in the background it's even fighting with the military about what they should be doing is a big theme in this movie. Mm -hmm. I think it, it's interesting how the character dies that was taking the briefcase away. It looks like he was having health issues mm -hmm. and uh, wasn't going to make it very far anyway. Yeah, and it's also kind of interesting too is kind of going along with some of that there is there's even a lot of infighting with the government themselves, especially during that, like you said, the inner council meeting that they were having where Everybody seems to be more fed up with the general who has kind of, because he has control of the military, I think a lot of the other people on the council are kind of afraid of him, but everything he's been doing has been very in, like ineffective. But then we see that those are, that are trying to get him out of power are the ones that you're talking about who are trying to steal everything from the safe and try to get away with everything. So it just seems like, 
And I mean, I guess this could actually draw a lot of parallels to kind of lobbyists and everything that we run into with our government right now is the fact that whoever really has the money is pointing at the other side to kind of not necessarily even give ways that you can fix things, but they're just trying to point out what the other side is doing that is kind of negative and trying to say like, well, this is what you're doing that's not working. I And they don't necessarily have another plan that'll kind of work in that way, but they're still just being like, well, we should stop following you because this is what you're doing that's not working right, instead of actually coming up with a solution that will kind of fix everything there. Yeah, don't look at me. Look over there. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I mean, and a lot of it does seem to be deflecting off of your corruption by pointing out somebody else's corruption as well. One, one thing I found extremely interesting, David, and I'm not sure how much you'd want to get into it, but mm -hmm. the colonel or the general, the head of the military, to me watching the movie, I didn't find him to be sympathetic in any way. I, right. I didn't like what he was doing. He seemed like he was hurting these children, that he had a little empathy for the people in Tokyo. Yeah. But at the end of the movie, he's a father figure to these children, and they protect him. Right. And it seems as though they do care about him. Mm -hmm. I think I agree with you that for a most part in the movie, he isn't sympathetic because, I mean, everything you keep seeing him doing is, I mean, I guess a part of this could be a lot of military training where they, I mean, that's one of the kind of, I think, the ineffective parts of military training is that they break somebody down into trying to build them into a weapon where they lose their humanity and then we see a lot of issues when they try to acclimate back into society is that they can't because they've kind of lost all of that and you're right he is very kind of i don't want to say want to say evil but he's very cold but he also as the movie goes on and you see how much of a part of these experiments that he's been doing he really does show that using this power is actually kind of a bad thing and that it needs to be kind of developed over time where you can learn how to control it. And that's where you see more of those three like children-like characters is that that's what the kind of training they've been done. And I know the one has been very, I mean, he's trying to make an escape and get away from everything like that. But we see what happens though with the character that once he realizes his power and uses it too quickly, how it really just kind of grows within him and he can't control it, which I mean, that's definitely, I didn't even think about it until you had brought it up. I definitely like an 11 thing with Stranger Things where how, she obviously needs to do it to prevent, you know, the world from ending or at least all of the people that she loves being killed by these creatures that are coming out of the upside down or whatever. And in this, though, he's really trying to find ways to use their power to create this more effective. I don't know if it's more of like a military applications or if he's also trying to actually make this into a more sustainable sort of electricity type system. But he does seem to, in, in the end, sort of care about things as trying to prevent Tokyo from being completely destroyed. But then, I mean, he's also using the satellite weapon to also destroy a lot of things around it. So, I mean, I understand that how powerful this power can make some people, but it's also, I mean, I guess trying to kill a fly with a shotgun type thing as well as it starts to decimate things around everybody. That is what ends up happening with some of that stuff there. And it was done so quickly, but in Stranger Things... The issues that she will have is her nose will bleed. And mm -hmm. that's the sign that they're giving you in the show that she's not totally in control of what's going on right. and it's hurting her. In this movie, again, some of the nightmarish scenarios, the imagery, especially where his body is, is bubbling and mm -hmm. growing out of control. But more importantly is the psychosis. So if you have an individual 
that over a short period of time is given these amazing powers, how would that affect your mental health? And he, he clearly goes from getting this telekinesis and the, these other powers to having real mental health issues and dealing with it. And they talk about that. I mean, it's so fast. It's not something that you would even need to develop over weeks and years where 11, they could discuss that more and they don't, they don't talk about it enough. But mm -hmm. in this movie, that's very real. That it, It's obvious that he's struggling to cope with his powers as well. Right. And I also think it's kind of interesting that they establish at least enough of the that character where, I mean, he's definitely bullied really hard. And, I mean, he looks up to the leader of the gang, but we also see moments where the leader of the gang kind of throws some things back into his face where he's like, I'm the one that always has to come and protect you. And, like, when he tries to go off and save the girl that he, you know, is in love with, he's pretty much also telling her that, or telling him that, you're not strong enough to do this. Like, you need me here. So the moment that he gets the power, I can definitely see, you know, years of bullying like he's gone and had to deal with is that it's kind of one of those things, like, once... I mean, it's actually a very interesting correlation to those kids that would do, like, school shootings due to bullying is that once you get a taste of that power and there's something that you have in your hand that you can use to kind of take back some of the things, it's both sad, but it's also kind of... There's better ways to do it, but once you've been beaten down so hard, it's kind of difficult to show somebody that, especially because, I mean, there's probably, you know, some depression and other things like that deep-seatedly on top of what they're going through. And we talked about this before we started recording, but that is a major theme in the movie, too, mm -hmm. is following this character. He's abused. They don't beat around that, and he becomes sympathetic. He's obviously a villain. He's destroying the city. He's creating loss of life potentially, but he's also somewhat sympathetic just because of the abuse from his early childhood and probably up until the time that we even see him in the movie with his relationship with Canada. I, I did find that interesting, the fight scenes at the end, and you do see this a lot in movies, so it's a pretty general theme, but here you have someone who has so much power they can make the floor break. Yep. And this one guy with a motorcycle <laughs> can go one-on-one -on -one with him and, yep. and make it out alive, no issues. I mean, he's a character that we follow through the movie. Um, you know, it seems a little grandiose, but I think that's a pretty typical theme in movies that you have yep. the main character that, through his, his will, strength of character, uh, <laughs> seems to be able to do just fine. Yeah, and I mean, he does get a little bit of help because I do know, like, the military guy brings the one weapon. Um, I mean, talking about, though, the power that that character has, I mean, he ends up destroying the satellite that is outside of Earth, and I believe he even flies up there to even kind of mess with it. And he does get a little bit of help from those three kids because they all, they have each kind of their own unique, unique set of power because I believe the one has kind of like ability to do kind of premonitions or kind of like a foresight where they can see things that they wouldn't have any sort of knowledge to. I know the one can actually disappear and kind of teleport and everything like that. I don't recall what the third one had the ability, but I know they all kind of, I don't know, did you end up remembering what the other one's ability was that they end up kind of using as well? The only thing I can cite is what I remember from the movie where they would create the car and the okay. stuffed animals. Yes. Okay. That's, I forgot that that was his power was that he could, cause I remember he brings the, yeah, like the car to life and then he makes that giant nightmarish teddy bear, which is another thing that kind of would fall into kind of the horror kind of categories with that whole weird sequence there. And then the other thing too, is that 
the actual character of Akira, because at the time of this movie, this person, entity, mythical kind of being has been gone, I believe, since the nuclear bomb kind of had been dropped, or at least in that kind of window where that person's been gone for quite some time. And in that absence, though, is that there has been kind of a cult following that comes from it where... Nobody really knows much about it, but there is this person that they keep talking about. And then I'd, you had brought up earlier how there's kind of a religious aspect to it where they are worshiping it. And Akira actually becomes the face of the rebellion and revolution that is going on that the government is trying to kind of quell as they're going as well. Yeah, Akira, what an interesting character. <laughs> it, when you're watching the movie, you know it's the title of the movie and you, you wonder, will I get to meet this person? And through most of the movie, you're, you're not sure. Mm -hmm. uh, you think that there's going to be some sleight of hand, and you're not exactly sure what that's going to be. Mm -hmm. But the idea that he became so powerful that they put him into parts um, so that they wouldn't have to deal with him anymore, but then just because they did that didn't take away his ability to exist, mm -hmm. even to the point that he recreates his physical form so you can see what he would look like by the end of the movie. Yep. And there were so many other movies that I, I thought about when I was watching this, and in that part, it, to me, it's Watchmen. So there's yeah. the character who becomes so powerful, he becomes godlike to the point that if you were to meet that individual today, you would certainly believe that that was a god, the power yep. that he has things he's able to do, being able to float in space, control things with his mind. And that's Akira, to me, is just whatever he was able to garner, he became godlike. And so it's easy to see why he would have a religious following if yeah. they were able to see that themselves and what he was able to do. And so Watchmen was a movie that came to mind. Obviously, the, the dystopia sense of the movie, that, that other layer, I, I thought of a lot of movies. Mad Max came, Mad Max came to mind. Um, the movie Tron, especially with the motorcycle imagery, I, I wanted to look back and say, when were these movies made? Were they yeah. made after Akira came out? And then the initial scene that you see when you're looking down uh, with, with the opening of the movie, I was like, oh my gosh, it's Sin City. You know, that, <laughs> it, it looks to me like when you when you play Sin City, that's what you're looking at. Yeah. And so I can I can see certainly why someone that really loves this movie would like all of the things that they were trying to do and where that would have led all these other people to, to write about the different issues. And for that, I, I certainly understand why there would be a, a really good following for this movie. It's kind of interesting because I actually read the uh, Watchmen graphic novel because when the movie was coming out, I had enough time to pick it up. And it ended up being one that was very difficult for me to kind of put down. I believe that came out in the mid-80s. So the... I'd have to confirm it, but I believe the manga would have came out for this first, but then the graphic novel for that one would have came out before this movie did. And it's actually kind of interesting, too, what you're bringing up, kind of the parallels between uh, Dr. Manhattan and Akira, just for the fact that one of the things that always kind of struck me with Dr. Manhattan is that, like, how much with reality he loses touch with because he no longer sees kind of time how we would in kind of like a more linear way where he no longer has touch with reality because he knows how everything's going to end. He knows where everything's going. And really the only thing that he can't is the event that kind of alters everything in that whole dystopian type world that they have created for that. And that's kind of something you get with Akira as well is that 
right before he is kind of banished away into the jars that he gets put into is that he kind of loses a lot of touch with reality because of the power and the knowledge that he has taken in through everything that has happened with him. And I mean, another thing kind of also, I can't necessarily think of what the movie is called, but I believe it's Transcendence with Johnny Depp, where once he ends up getting uploaded into kind of the mainframe internet in that world is that he also kind of becomes a monster just because of the knowledge that you gain once you kind of gain that kind of godlike status and all these type of characters. So those are kind of interesting parallels that I do know at one point when something happens near the end of this movie that I was like, oh, that's definitely kind of something that does that do in Watchmen as well. So I've never actually seen Tron, but I can definitely see the parallels from some of the imagery that I've seen from that. And yeah, I mean, the whole futuristic kind of Mad Max thing, I can definitely see the kind of parallels there as well. A couple things that I, I did want to discuss too after mm -hmm. I realized that David and I had watched essentially different movies <laughs> was I, I had read that when they wrote the movie that they recorded the dialogue first okay. and then actually drew the movie. And so for my, for my opinion, I'm assuming that the movie that David watched would be better for that because the cartoon aspect was designed for the dialogue that he's watching. I don't yeah. think David speaks Japanese. I do not. <laughs> but I, I still think it would be more authentic. Um, the dub version would lose something with that. But I did find that interesting that they did record the dialogue first and then um, draw the movie. Obviously now the way they make movies with CGI, it's easy for a computer to take yeah. the dialogue and create the movie. But 20 years ago, 30 years ago, I think that would be a little more difficult. Um, I've listened to one of David's podcasts before. I wanted to have some idea for the things that he was looking at too. And so I did note that the score was interesting in this movie. It was yeah. something that people considered to be a major role. I don't know enough about um, how that's done in movies and, and how good that is, but I know that people enjoyed the score in this particular movie. Right. There's a lot of action. You know, it's nonstop action, which people would like. Imagery is amazing, and I found it quotable. Even for somebody that wasn't speaking the native language, there's a lot of lines in the movie that are, are short, that are powerful, that I think would be fun to quote, you know, which is what makes some movies really great, too. For sure. Especially something like this um, that has such a cult following and like how many people are just fans of it. Because, I mean, one of the things we kind of talked about before we started recording is... I really got into like the Japanese like role playing games when I was, you know, kind of late middle school, like early high school and everything like that. And one of my favorite games of all time is Final Fantasy VII. And there is so much when I was watching this that I was literally pointing out for the fact of that they borrowed very heavily for the story and a lot of things there. Because the city that you start in there is pretty much Neo Tokyo. I mean, they call it a different name of Midgar. And there is definitely a like kind of boss battle mini thing that you have to do where you definitely are doing the motorcycle chase fight scene in that where you have to fight off people that are on very similar kind of futuristic motorcycles. And I mean, their story borrows very heavily from that in the fact that in that one they have is an alien entity they call Jehovah that ends up becoming just a group of cells that have so much power in it. And they end up using it on a character that ends up becoming very similar to the character in this, where he becomes very godlike. And 
But then once he gets this power, he loses touch with reality and everything like that. And this game literally plays out a lot of stuff like that. Now, it veers off and does its own little thing, as, you know, a lot of things you have to do in those type of scenarios. But, like, watching it, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, these characters are literally drawing parallels. And it's a story, though, I think that works well where you can kind of you know, borrow elements like that. And it's not something, I mean, and we've kind of talked a little bit on this, is that Akira's borrowing from a lot of sci-fi stuff that came before it, where I did end up looking up that, like, a lot of people say that Blade Runner is actually something where it borrows heavily. Now, I haven't seen that one yet, but I know Akira, they say, has taken a lot of stuff like that. I don't know if, have you seen Blade Runner before? I have. I, I saw the original with Harrison Ford, and I've seen the newer version as well. And yeah, I I could see that. I mean, it's mm. not something that would have come to my mind yeah. watching the movie, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. Right. All right, since we kind of went through a lot of stuff that we end up liking, is there anything that you really didn't like uh, about this movie? Oh, David, so I, I was <laughs> struggling with this because I, I watched this with a friend of mine, and my wife was also present for parts of it, <laughs> and it didn't, it didn't keep her interest very long. Fair. <laughs> and I, I wanted to... I didn't want to be negative in any way doing mm -hmm. doing this podcast with you. I want to be positive. I'm sure there's a lot of people that love this movie. Yeah. This is probably not a movie that if I owned it, I would watch it again. Yeah. It, and saying that, I, I understand what makes this movie great. Mm -hmm. um, but it's something that one of those movies that I'd watch once and I'd appreciate for what it was. And right. That would probably be it for me. So I'm glad that you brought it to my attention. But, you know, for, for me personally, it was a lot. I mean, it was, yeah, it was just heavy to, to try to dig through dense, I suppose, trying to dig through, um, you know, there, there are times where I like some older language, you know, there's the groping, there's this disenfranchised use of drug use, the alcohol, things like that, yeah. that I'm not sure if all of that is necessary. I know what he's trying to do. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, for me, it, the, the themes of the movie, I don't know, I mean, it, if it would have gone one way further, it, instead of trying to weave so many different things together, I, I think it would have been more fun for me to watch. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, for an academic exercise, I liked it, mm -hmm. but you know, I didn't completely in, enjoy it. It's not something that I'd probably watch again. No, that's fair, because I mean, this is one that I would probably at some point end up picking up the like blu-ray or i mean i might even spring for like the 4k but kind of similar way as you like this wouldn't be one that i would regularly come back to just because of what you i mean you definitely are dead on that there's a lot of heavy material in it i think this one for me would end up being one that i would periodically come back to and it would more uh be if somebody had reached out to me and was like hey do you want to do a review with me on this one where i would watch it again to kind of brush up to make sure that i'm up on it i personally thought it was a little bit long and i think there's a lot of stuff that i feel like at times got to be filler where i don't necessarily know if it added anything to the characters themselves or any sort of the story line anything like that so i mean i can definitely see some of those kind of aspects i mean one of my favorite movies of all time is that I brought up earlier is Clockwork Orange, but I mean that's literally one that I can only you know periodically come back to like every five or six years just because of how heavy that movie is and how like I kind of feel dirty after watching it sometimes where I'm just like I like I need to I need to watch a comedy now or something to kind of cleanse the palate to get back to with that I mean like I said that has a lot of influences there with kind of government doing some shady things on top of that as well with experimentation so like I think it's one of those things where there are major fans of this movie, but I don't think anybody can necessarily blame you for not wanting to kind of, 
you know, make this into like a monthly or yearly rotation type movie for sure. I like the way you put that because I agree with you. Clockwork Orange is amazing, but it's not something I'd want to watch often. Yeah. You, like you said, it makes you feel dirty. When you watch a movie, same reason you watch sports, for me, you want to release. You want to yep. have fun. You want to forget about other things. And this movie makes you, makes you think about all the bad things you're trying <laughs> to get away from during the week. And yeah. if, if the themes in this movie are, are true with how life is going today, abuse of power, not caring about our society, taking advantage of things, you know, all of the, the underbelly, the darkness, um, then yeah, I mean, it's, you want to get away from it instead of thinking about it all the time. Right. No, for sure. Is there anything that you we didn't kind of go over that you would like to kind of touch back on before we kind of, kind of, I guess, ramp things down for this uh, review? One thing that I, I was thinking while I watched the movie, and I don't know if you've seen this in other movies or have an answer to it, but mm-hmm. this character at the end, he just grows and grows and grows. <laughs> How is that possible? <laughs> Um, that's actually a really good question, and it's also kind of funny to kind of correlate it back to, like, the Final Fantasy video games, because that's literally what happens in every single one of their video games, is that you are fighting a normal human character, and by the end of it, they have grown into this godlike thing that is either bulbous, or, I mean, they usually end up kind of looking very angel or demon-like at the end of it. Not necessarily sure how it's possible. The only thing I could kind of take from it would be fusion sort of energy type thing that as the energy kind of keeps growing in on itself it is pulling stuff from around them and that is the only kind of thing that me kind of conjecturing on as a way that it could happen but because I just know like with fusion it obviously you know is bringing things together so that's the only thing I can kind of come up with on that and then this is the end of the universe (laughs) he's reading off of the paper straight lines now either the universe is ending or it begins but nothing in the timeline of the story changes at all so right. I, I was interested into what that actually meant you know, what, did he restart something somewhere else but I mean they're talking about the universe not just planet earth and right things just go on along when, after that happens so I was curious as to your take on that as well um the only other thing I could think with that then would be it almost kind of feels like them looking at like the Big Bang, how like we don't necessarily know how that happened and how it kind of created the universe or how life kind of created. So I almost wonder if they're kind of drawing on that type of thing is that he has sucked in so much energy and everything that you're right, though, it doesn't affect anything on our planet, but it makes me wonder has this created sort of another universe that and I mean, kind of drawing something from like Men in Black, how they talk about that. I mean, that movie has a interesting ending where there's a giant alien that is playing with all of the universes that he has as a game of marbles where he's keeping them in this little satchel and everything like that. And that whole movie having a different type of universe on the collar of a cat's neck the whole time. So I'm almost wondering if that's what they're kind of playing at is that all of this energy that has been kind of sucked in and imploded on itself might have created something differently like that. It doesn't really affect our world but has created something different with what they've done there yeah my, i just wondered how was he going to end it and then once mm-hmm. it ended i was still confused so <laughs> that's where i will leave the ending of the movie yeah no i, I was definitely kind of leaving the theater going what mm-hmm. okay so that would be something that having watched it and kind of knowing where things go now like this is definitely one that i want to come back and i'm like oh i don't remember that happening there like that 
does not ring a bell with what happened with that. But it is one of those things where I kind of I know where things go now. So if I when I give it another viewing at some point in my lifetime, I can hopefully kind of see if there's something that I might have missed or something that might have give a better little, little bit more explanation to stuff there because I'm definitely with you is I don't necessarily know exactly where they're going and this is and it's also another thing I might want to read the manga at some point because I do tend to once I've watched the movie and know that there is a source material I wonder if that might give a little bit more insight into where things end up for that as well so David when you watch movies and you're preparing for this mm -hmm. do you hit pause take some notes restart the movie how, how do you go through your movie um like for this one, I didn't get able to do what I normally would because I was in a theater. And for me, actually, having a smartphone has been like revolutionary for it because I'll just open up a new notepad and I will kind of jot things down. For the most part, I don't necessarily try to pause it because I don't always want to kind of interrupt the flow of the movie because that can kind of affect at times your kind of the pacing and everything because you kind of want to feel how it should be kind of going as it goes. I will sometimes, though, if too much is happening and I don't want to miss something, I will pause it to kind of, as you said, I will take notes on it that way. And then, I mean, there's sometimes where I'll start watching a movie and I just get too exhausted to kind of continue it on. So I'll pick it up when I have another time or if like something pops up where I can't necessarily finish all the way through. So like I will try to watch movies straight through if I can, but a lot of times I do try to take notes, especially when I'm watching stuff from home. Well, thank you for having me. I'm glad yeah. that you invited me to do this. I'm glad you exposed me to something that I, I promise you I would not have watched otherwise. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, no, it's no. I'm definitely glad that we could figure out something because I definitely wanted to have you on, and I know things kind of kept getting pushed back. I didn't necessarily know for a while there the best way to kind of do this, so now that I have a better idea, I you know I'm glad that you definitely were willing to kind of humor me and check this movie out and you know give it a view. Um, I guess my question would be like, would you ever come back on and do another movie? So David probably doesn't know this, but my buddies growing up do that. I watched all of the AFI Top 100 movies. I had this book, 1001 Movies You're Supposed to Watch Before no. You Die. And there was a period of time, uh, long before I was married, where it would not be surprising for me to watch a movie a day. Yeah. And Blockbuster Video, I was there all the time. And so I, I have a, a really deep love for movies. I enjoy everything about them. Most genres I appreciate. Mm -hmm. Romantic comedies are kind of rough, but I, <laughs> I I love movies a lot. I like to look at what's going on with them as mm -hmm. well. You know, not as not as much as David, obviously, but um, I would do this anytime. I think anytime you have an opportunity to have another guest come in, it's more fun. Yeah. If you could have people call in, that would be fun. <laughs> so I hope that your podcast grows. I hope that people enjoy it, and you're obviously very good at what you're doing. You, you seem very practiced. And so I, I wish you the best, and I'd be happy to come on anytime. All right, perfect. Well, I want to thank you again for coming on, for all those kind words. Like, I mean, it's one of those things where I do this thing, and I don't necessarily always get feedback. So, you know, it's hearing something like that. I do definitely appreciate that. That does mean a lot and everything. Um, I don't necessarily know if your children or if Monica is actually going to listen to this or not. If you want to say anything kind of, you know, as a goodbye, as parting words, you're more than welcome to. <laughs> oh, David, this is the best part. So I'll, I will be talking to my daughter now. Her name is Amelia. And as she listens to this, she will try to talk to me <laughs> while she's listening to the audio of the podcast. So hi, Amelia. How are you? I hope you're listening to your parents and having a good day. Jonas, I love you. Monica, I love you. Thank you for letting me do this. And I, I hope you allow me to do it again. All right, perfect. Well, 
thank you once again for coming on with me. This is David Garrett Jr. signing off.